Welcome to Indie Depth, the show where we go in-depth with independent filmmakers about the filmmaking process. I'm your host, Andrew Froning, and today on my show, I have award-winning visual effects artist, producer, director, writer, Robin Hunt. Welcome to the show. Hi. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, so Robin and I have worked together um, from time to time on different projects, whether, you know, I'll shoot for you or um, we'll write something and we'll bounce it back and forth between each other. And it, it's a good working relationship. Yeah, I, I'd say so, too. I'd like to put a shout out to Jennifer Hip. Thank you for introducing us because it's been real good. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, it's all about like meeting people and meeting people through other people. Um Sometimes you can be in the same circles with similar people and never meet. So it's nice when you're actually able to. So um, it was actually the award was for both of us together because we both worked on visual effects for the Connection web series. Right. Um, and we won Best Visual Effects. Um, it was earlier this year, but I think it was still titled like 2019 for whatever reason. But um, let's talk about visual effects because that's that's so collaborative and especially if you're working with multiple people um it can be it, it can be a task to get everyone on the same page and to to get everything working yeah well you know my, my first interest in visual effects came from the fact that you know like in in indie film we don't exactly have the same uh resources that say a big budget hollywood production has so i think in a lot of ways if we can get you know i'm far from an expert at this but in a lot of ways if we can like do something and you know at least and when i say when i say special effects i mean especially in things like set extension and what i mean by that is for instance say you know we're going to shoot something we want to shoot at the central park now, for an indie production, no-budget to low-budget production, you know, unless we go into Central Park in New York City with an iPhone and try some real gorilla stuff, you know, you're really not going to be able to do that. By the same token, you can go somewhere like Veterans Park, for instance, and if you're taking a long shot of the park and, say, you had composited the New York City skyline in the background above the trees, ergo, you've got Central Park. And it's enough of a recognizable skyline that most people watching the film will be able to see it. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where my interest really in visual effects comes into play, to be able to, be able to take something we do to the next level or get a shot that we normally would not be able to get. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it takes a little extra time, it takes a little more elbow grease, but you can you can achieve that. And making it look real is is a little tricky in itself. It's another art form. Oh yeah, that definitely. I mean, you know, for those people who've dealt with it before, things like tracking, you know, motion match moving to be able to get the camera and your effect and everything to move at the same time. And then especially and this is something where you're probably much more of an expert on, it's just like the color correction, getting the color and lighting in your composited effect to match what you actually have out there. Yeah, you have to match to your camera, to your exposure settings, to the, the colors. 
um, your black balance, your gray balance, your white balance, right. um, the grain and the shot. I mean, one of the things that I've just, you know, like learned lately to be able to do, say, if, you know, if we were out on a, on a set and we want to get in an outdoor shot where we want to have some CGI object placed inside of it, one of the things to do is, I mean, and this you can a lot of times do with your, you know, like iPhone, is to take like a 360 HDRI shot of the whole area. And like when you get into your compositing program or get into your uh, 3D program to use that actually to drive the lighting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't even played around with that, but that's, that's what the big dogs do. Yeah, and I mean, it's something that's like, that is really not hard to do on, you know, like on an indie level. And it can make all the difference in the world because you can match your lighting and colors almost exactly. Yeah, all these things are becoming more and more accessible. I know um, photogrammetry, you know, shooting, you know, just with a high-quality camera going around an object, you can now create a 3D image of that object and indie filmmakers are making use of that which is just it was just unheard of five years ago exactly and the most amazing thing in the world just now unreal engine which is the uh engine that drives a lot of video games they've just taken things to the next level by having developed ways to make like a photorealistic kind of background a photo you know like all kinds of photorealistic things in your background and be able to do it with uh, less, I don't even understand completely what they're doing, but it takes, you know, it cuts down on the amount of polygons that you use, and they have a new lighting system inside of there, and a lot of filmmakers are starting to use this because you get real-time feedback. I mean, one of the places that's using it for anybody who's ever watched The Mandalorian, I mean, they use gigantic LED screens and they basically uh, essentially put, you know, the camera can go on with it, and they use the Unreal Engine, and there's somebody back there that can basically move things around, and they can go from night to day like that. And, like, a lot of the lighting is just driven from what's coming out of these high, you know, these basically high-definition HD screens. And, I mean, again, and here again, the beauty part of it is Unreal Engine, you can basically download for free and use it and the only time that they will ever look for you know money from you is if you use it in the production or use it in game hmm. but the beauty part for that is somebody who's learning and wants to really learn the system you can download it you can do it and you can basically you know save your projects without any kind of limitations on them to really burn the system wow and like i said i think that's a real game changer for everyone for sure especially with the way everything is going you know the mandalorian and to where that started with some of the the later Star Wars movies where they were using that technology um, to to light cockpits of spaceships and right. now they're just lighting backgrounds. It's it's almost a replacement for green screen. It's visual effects done on the set. Oh, exactly. It's almost like an audio engineer behind the scenes of a band, you know? Right. And I mean it's great for the actors, you know, to be able to actually react to something that's really there. And, you know, it's great for the director because, you know, you get your shot out there one time. Okay, we're going to go shoot the night scene. 
The guy presses a button, suddenly your background is like moonlit and Well, you night. can shoot sundown all day long. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're not limited to that, you know, golden hour at night or sundown in the morning. And like I said, it is a complete and total game changer. And I think, you know, having acted myself for the actors involved, it's so much better than green screen to be able to react to something that's really there. I mean, I've, I've been seeing, like, in a lot of those space, you know, like in The Mandalorian, and this is something that we were doing in the new Star Wars films, you know, they have the set where they have basically the ship on hydraulics, and you have this background set up, so the actors flying the ships are actually can see it and move with it. And I really do think that helps with your performance tremendously. Yeah, it's just like another extension. It re can really put you in that world to the point where you may not be acting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I probably be throwing up, but you know. one of the things that's really important is when you're on set shooting for that visual effect that you're going to do. And, you know, just about any time where you know you're going to composite something in there, one of the first things you really need to try to do is to get a clean plate. Yeah. And make sure you have that clean plate because that'll make all the difference when you're putting something else in. I always like to get my clean plates a little wider. Right. Just just in case. I mean, definitely in the camera, have everybody step out. But if you've got, like, a photographer on set, try to match the lens settings, take a picture, or, you know, if you're on a zoom lens or just tripod, move it back a little bit just, just so you have it. You never know. Exactly. And uh, one of the things, you know, also to keep in mind, I mean, you know, out of laziness on my part, if I'm going to do an effect shot like that, I usually like to have a lockdown camera. But, you know, sometimes yeah. director's vision, that's not always the case. So when you're doing something like that with a movie camera, with a moving camera, it's really important to have things in the background, either with a, like, pretty high contrast, or even if it's like a wall or something in the background, to put, like, marks on the wall so you'll have something that you can do the match moving with to keep it straight. Right. That's something you have to keep an eye out. Like, if you don't do tracking markers, right. which later you have to erase, um, something in the background that your software, and, you know, you got to know the software, you got to know how all this works. Um, plenty of YouTube video tutorials out there, whether you're using After Effects, um, HitFilm, Nuke, whatever, whatever the kids are using these days. <laughs> um, you need to know how that stuff works in order to get a good result. So the way I learned was just going off of tutorials. And yep. they would have examples, and they'd have example footage. And you think, oh, this is just footage, but it's footage that was set up to do this. Right. So you can kind of pick up on, okay, they really tried to include this in the shot. Uh, they really tried to exclude this they tried to not have a person cross the tracking marker um so that's that's all stuff that you have to keep in mind if you're going to shoot a visual effect shot because you get the set and what you envision is not there exactly i mean you have to have a real vision of that you have to really shoot shoot for that you have to keep in mind tracking and also you know like and then of course there's the green screen and that's, like, where a lot of people will, you know, like, fall down because they don't really 
understand how to shoot green screen, which is the first thing is that you have to try to get as flat lighting on the screen as possible. And, you know, make the screen as smooth as possible. I mean, if I'm using like a regular green screen material type of thing like cloth, I usually always bring sort of a, a steam, not a steam iron, but one of those steam pressers with me where you just, okay. you know, it up and down. They have a uh, like wrinkle release spray too. Right. That yeah. sort of thing to make sure you get that. And then the thing is you want to try the thing that where people I, I notice a lot of times people will have the person standing right up against the, the green screen. And the point and the thing is you need to get the person, you know, far away back from the green screen. Right. In order to uh, eliminate like the green spill that comes on them. There's spill, there's the actor's shadows. Um, right. You really need to light the green screen with different lights than you're lighting your talent. Exactly. And you need your talent really separated from the screen in order to get something different. Because I'll tell you, you know, once you get into a program like After Effects or whatever, you have a really bad screen, green screen shot. It can really be hell to try to make that work and sometimes you just really can't which means that you know if you don't have time to go back that you're gonna have to ta-da you're gonna have to go with the dreaded rotoscoping for days and hours I mean you know I've done that where I've just really banged my head into the table yeah and l let me tell you like I I used to do a lot of rotoscoping in school, you know, when I was, the time I had that wasn't at school, I would dedicate to stuff like that. And it wasn't so bad with standard definition digital. But then we came to HD, and I did my first HD rotoscope, and I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. Um, and then I had offered to help somebody out rotoscoping on a 4K shot. And oh my god, that was like almost impossible oh yeah every little every little jitter like there's there's more pixels there's it's everything is clear so you're gonna see wobble you're gonna see you're gonna see everything that we know to say to, to avoid and there are like there are programs you know like silhouette which is like basically pretty much one that's right for like like maka or silhouette, which is even supposedly a little bit better, but the truth of the matter is, there's no super shortcut. There really isn't. You just, it's like for some make it a little faster and they have tools to try to keep it a little better. Right. But, uh, you know, especially in type of a green screen where you have somebody like this moving their head or whatever, and you have to constantly change the shape of the mask, that's what's, you know, like living hell. That's I mean, difficult. Yeah, if you have, if it, at least if whatever you're rotoscoping, if it's moving, if at least your shape isn't changing, you can go from frame to frame, moving the whole mat. But boy, when you've got something moving around, it can be hard. So it definitely pays to do your proper due diligence when you're doing green screen. Right. Yeah, it's just something as simple as like a nose turning or an ear. Um, that can be a pain, and oh, yeah. I use I use different objects for those. Um, it, it can it can be tricky if you have to move them all together, but I, I feel the best way to go about it is like for my face, an oval around my head. If right. I have to do my nose, then I will do another shape for those frames. If I have to do my ear, it'll be another shape because somebody could move, somebody could go like this, and then you got to 
crush right. all those things down, and it just it just doesn't work to use one thing. So it, it right. might seem like it's going to take more time, but I think you get a better result because you well, can set you can set feathers differently, and you could set um, smoothing and even opacity for and hair. The about mocha that's really nice is when you're doing that, you can at first do like a motion track on the whole thing, and mm. then that to your rotoscope so that you know at least that'll help you with a little bit with the movement i mean you know just i mean with that any little thing you can do to speed things along god bless you, you know? right yeah a lot of the software has been incorporating even premiere you know you can do easy things with mass for any effect for opacity um and you can track which just makes everything so it's it's you have something to start with. You know, you're not starting from scratch. Right. You know, with like luma mats, track matting, and things like that. You know, a lot of times, you know, for me, it'll be a combination of all those things to get like something, you know, decent. I might start out with a luma mat, track matting it where, you know, things are still almost completely clear in the background but you're still getting a little bit of bleed through and then you end up with the rotoscope but you know what's happening is not as critical with the edges because you know most of the background's already gone and right. you know things like that right but Interesting. There are things that you have to think about but i mean it's something that you know like it's good to have a working knowledge of because it can really take your project to the next level now robin in addition to some brilliant visual effects work um, and directing, you are also a writer. Yes, and, uh, you know, I've written the things that I've produced, but, you know, like, I've always had a problem of sitting down, you know, and going, you know, like, really getting it done, you know what I mean? Because sure. it's kind of like, I find myself, you know, I have this idea, and I kind of, like, have an idea of where I want it to go, and then somewhere, you know, the end of the first act, the beginning of the second act, I get lost. And I think actually it was a suggestion from you that gave me the key. And that was, you know, if you have the idea, write the ending first. And with this latest thing that I'm writing, I tried that. And I wrote the end of it completely first. And let me tell you something, man, starting to write that from the beginning knowing where I'm going with it makes all the difference. It does. I'm, I'm actually working with a writing partner, um, writing what I intend to be my first feature that I direct. And I say, anybody can write a first act. We always write first acts, and then we get, like, we just don't know where to go. So have an idea about it. Have an idea how it's going to start. Start writing a second act. That's what they call in the, the save the cat thing, the fun and game section. And, you know, whether you're just on save the cat or, you know, you've gone beyond it to other screenwriting books or want to expand anything, you know, the second act is, is key. And the second act should be fun. The second act is the trailer act. That's what they put in the trailer. So if you can put all that enthusiasm and energy into your second act, write it through to the end, have an idea, have an outline, write it through to the end, then go back and make a super tight, super focused first act that it'll pay off. It'll be not quite a bookend, but it'll be, 
um, it'll be the seed you plant. Every single thing that happens should come up later. And if it doesn't, is it superfluous? Do you need that stuff? You know, I always got hung up on my first acts, writing things in and writing scenes in that I really wanted to happen, but maybe it wasn't right at that point in time. Maybe it had to come later, but because you get stuck, you just, you can't move forward. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, like I said, writing in a lot of ways is like acting, because there are a bunch of different schools. I mean, one of the first books I ever read on screenwriting was a book by someone called Sid Field. And he basically, and basically the book was one of his writing classes in school, and they basically started with the character. Okay, I've got a character, his name is Andrew Franey. He's married, he's got two kids. What does he do for a living? Does he like his job? Does he like, you know? And they basically built the story out of that. And then, you know, and they were like, and like acting, you know, where you have, you've got Stanislavski method, you've got Lee Strasberg's version of the Stanislavski method, you've got Sanford Meisner method, you know? It's kind of everything like that, and I think you just got to find something in there that works for you. But what you were just, like I said, for me, you gave me the key. Everything you just said works perfectly for me because it keeps me on a balance of knowing where I'm going. And I think one of the things you said in there is key. When you do it that way, uh, a lot of times the ideas that you've had in the beginning that don't make it in there probably are better off having been edited out like that in a natural way. Yeah, and, and that was we had a quick phone call and then I heard you had pretty much outlined or started writing your feature script. So what was, what was the turnaround on that? Uh, the turnaround on it was we had a phone call and I just, you know, and I remember we talked about it and, you know, and then when you mentioned it, I, you know, like I, I thought about it for a while, I gave it some thought and I said, yeah. So I had basically gotten the story. I mean, I wanted to do a feature. I had just read about a feature that three that two English brothers did called Cosmos, and it's basically a it's it's kind of a sci-fi story about people that are out you know like listening for uh, different signals coming from outer space and they find something. But the crux of it is they shot it with a black magic pocket camera, not the 4K or 6K, but the original. Black Magic Pocket Camera, you know, which was just an HD camera. And they basically had three people that were in the cast. They had basically two locations. I mean, a location in the woods outside and one location on the inside of the car where they were listening. And, you know, that's pretty much it. It took them, like, a long time to get it done. And they said sometimes their mom came out and did crew for them. But... <laughs> The thing was, again, I they actually got, I saw, I was blown away by the trailer of it, and they actually got distribution, international distribution. Wow. And a lot of really respected cinematographers thought they shot it on an ARRI, you know, on on an ARRI or, you know, even one thought of it on a Panavision camera. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, again, they followed all those rules of doing the first feature a you know like small cast and you know like a minimum of locations so with all that in mind i kind of formulated the idea of the one that i was doing and then i was going to go, I'm going to go with this and then you and i talked about starting with the end 
and I thought about the end, what the story was, what I wanted to do, and once that was in place, everything, like you said, just popped in. So hmm. the turnaround was like really quick. It's kind of like, you know, I was looking for that last piece of the puzzle, and you handed it to me. And uh, yeah, it was that, like a, it was like a matter of a few days, though, and then you you had an outline, which is is the movie. Yeah, I mean, it was, but I mean, it was just that you know, I can't, like I said, I cannot praise that way of doing things enough. I mean, I thank you for, like, giving me that, because it took something that was, like, really painful for me and made it easy. Yeah, it's definitely helped me out, and, you know, I, I'm i partially making these um, videos and podcasts because this is the kind of content I watch. You know, I want to hear about the way that people approach things the different ways and see what clicks, see what I can incorporate, and from a bunch of conglomeration of different things, this was kind of the way I felt that I should approach writing this feature. And it was amazing. We had, we, we pretty much, I think, within a couple, like, 45-minute Skype sessions, we had Act 2. We had all the characters, which was the tough one. Um, then we did Act 3, and then, you know, we made a loose outline for Act 1. Um, referencing the things that had happened before. So it's almost like you're working at it like a Christopher Nolan way where you're jumping back and forth. And, oh, this can go here, this can go here. Um, right. It's a way to work a little more non-linearly to be able to see Act 1s, 2, and 3 maybe on like laid out in bullet points on like a page or two. You know, it's easy to just jump up here and say, okay, I can reference what happens here. I can foreshadow it. Yeah, and that's to me what the interesting part of this is. You know, like in a more traditional way of writing, it's kind of you're letting the things that you've already written, which is sort of like the past, hmm. the early acts, drive what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, it's funny. When you know what's going to happen at the very end, that's driving how you get there. And that can make it easy. To me, it makes it easier, but a lot more interesting, too. It's more focused. Right. Exactly. Again, like you said, the superfluous stuff kind of like goes by the wayside. And right. And it's getting you directly where you want to be. Well, it's one of those things where, like, sometimes when I sit down to write, I will write freeform. And I'll write stuff that just goes off. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it may never come back. And maybe it's good to get that out. Well, but now it's in my script. You never know. You might get another story out of that, something totally different. You, <laughs> you know? may. You or may. A, but the, the tricky part and the part that you're going to have to spend hours brain of brain process on is, ooh, do I need this? I really like it. Can I, can I shift it? Can I incorporate it? Whereas starting with an outline is, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. If you have something superfluous, you know, maybe you make a note in a different document. But your outline is, is your structure. To say, this is going to happen here, this is going to happen here. Oh, I had this cool idea, but I don't know if it fits. Write it somewhere else. Write it in a, a text file called Maybe Ideas. <laughs> and you know what? That's what kind of like brings me to directing, especially when you're directing something that you've written. One of the things I know, one of the things I've always liked, and it's especially like in indie film, is that, you know, if you're open to have everybody you know like whether it's the dp whether it's the actors whether it's the guy moving the lights you know when they're 
part of the project to, you know, to be able to make suggestions and see things. And, you know, that sometimes work. Because the one thing about it is, once you've written something, you are, like, so focused on what you've got down there, what you have to do. Sometimes you don't see other, like Bob Ross called the happy accidents that, you know, sure. come up on set. And I just, you know, and for, like, two examples, you know, one example, which is with you as the uh, DP on Paradox, which we're in production on. But, I mean, you know, like, I was looking at other things, and you just happened to see this, you know, the ornate kind of glass that was on the door, and the way the light hit it, and the way it had gone through, and you suggested, oh, we should have her, like, walking up this way. And, you know, I think that's going to be one of the key moments in the film, which, thank God you brought it up, because, you know, like, I didn't even notice that at the time. Right. Yeah, you know, it's different different perspectives. Right? But because you had the script, because you, you wrote it, and you, you're focused on the intention. This is what I need. Right. So when I made a comment, you know, what if we try it this way? It gelled with your intention, or it didn't. So well, yeah, you, know what, like, you know what you want to achieve. Right. I mean, like, even, you know, like, and then Amanda made a... Uh, she made a suggestion, which actually was a story suggestion, which I won't get into, get into, you know, because it's actually becomes kind of an integral little part of the story. But again, it was something that I was so into it. I didn't. She with like fresh eyes just came up and said, "Well, why don't we do this and do that?" And you know, and it hit me. I go, "Yeah, why didn't I think of that?" You know what I mean? Right. So when you know your story, you can be hyper focused on where it's going, and right. you know maybe the way you get there. There are some nice things if you listen to your your actors, your crew. Um, I think if you just if you as a director, if you know what you want to achieve at the end of the day, right, you're less hyper focused on the little details. I know, and that I just you want. Like to keep it like on the set. I like to keep it open. I like I love working and making it known to everybody. If you see something you think is going to work, or you see something that may just you know, like say it, you know. All right. No, and, good point. Well, thanks like so much, that. Robin. Appreciate you um, coming on. So where can we see your previous work? Where can we see my previous work? Well, The Mirror, we're still waiting on one more thing from a film festival before we release that, which I think we'll release on YouTube. And I know we've been talking about doing uh, with some of the work you have and other things that are putting together like a little DVD. So that's going to be coming up. And Paradox, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm planning to do, like, with, like, hopefully that we can make with a, uh, with an invited audience, or, like, with, with, you know, the different things we were shooting for this DVDs have, like, which would include Alan Sconza's run. And, you know, one thing that you worked on with Amanda is there's a little theater in Newtown, PA, that you can actually rent to do things. I want to have a little premiere and do that rent to see it before things go all out on the net. Oh, so. okay. All sorts of different types of releases. You got physical, you got theater, um, and the YouTube. Yeah, and so I'm like, what I'm, uh, so, to keep up with that, although I haven't posted anything in a while, if you look up Ultra Entertainment Media Productions on Facebook, and go to our Facebook page there, I will be a lot better about keeping people up with what's happening 
and when these things are going to come about and where you can find them. Perfect. And we'll have links to all those in the description. Robin Hunt, visual effects artist, writer, director, all around great guy. Thanks for being on the show and thanks for going Indie Depth. Okay, thank you for having me, Andrew. Enjoy yourself, stay safe, and have a great day. You too.